Yeah, so um, I'm Mark Knight. I'm um, a sport project officer at Sport Structures. Um, and I'm currently working for Factor of Oxfordshire as part of their sort of recovery and support service. Um, so I'm behind the info app um, email, um, which I'll put up on the screen um, towards the end. Um, yeah, and just helping to try and support clubs through this time. Okay, anybody else want to... Bye I'll say hello. Hi, Amanda Pierce Higgins. Um, I am a trustee at Active Oxfordshire, so I'm half here just to see what's going on. And I'm also a non-exec director at Chenna Rugby, who are a semi-professional rugby side. So I've got that hat on as well. Super. Um, <clears throat> I'll go if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Dan from Great Sport. Um, I can't get my camera to work now either. Um, but basically, I, I think someone from the, the team um, this way sent uh, sent a link around or sent me a link for this chat and I think we've got a bit of an appetite picking up on our end for people to coordinate. I know we don't really work with directly with clubs and stuff like that but there seems to be a need for it somewhere so I'm just kind of seeing what everyone else is up to really if you don't mind me okay. jumping on. We don't mind you being a nosy so-and-so Dan that's fine. I'm all new to this so the more I can learn the better. Cool. Um, I'm Hazel Walsh from Active Oxfordshire uh, and hoping to give a little bit of the local um, insight to the webinar. The idea was that we'd had loads of clubs and organisations uh, <laughs> on here to give guidance to. I was just thinking that. So we're giving guidance to Manchester and Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda is from a sport, so aren't you Amanda? <laughs> Yeah, no, we stacked everyone. Seriously, we did stack everyone. So, um, how, I mean, yeah. say, how have you dealt with it as a semi-professional rugby club? How have you dealt with it? So, yeah, we, um, I mean, it was interesting because we were, you know, 80% through the season. Um, we paid our players up to the end of March. So they had one month left on the contracts and we terminated them at the end of the March. Um, and then we're now in a bit of a limbo to understand you know, so we're talking to the players about contracts for next year. I mean, the RFU, the latest, is that they're looking to start rugby again, you know, July for the premiership point of view, but you can't believe that that would happen in reality. But as I was saying earlier, that there are TV contracts um, that are currently in yeah. front of us. I think that's the element with professional sport, is that the TV contracts and the sponsorships related to that are not going to pay off unless they get their the games that they were promised and uh exactly and then that really... that filter you know we're in the third tier so you've mm. got premiership championship and we're national one mm -hmm. so it, it massively impacts us what happens higher up on the chain you know whether how many players are around and you uh, you know there's all sorts of arguments with the rfu around um you know salary caps and saracens and all sorts so <laughs> god knows what's going on so you have employment contracts with your players, not, they're not self-employed? We have employment contracts with our players. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a variety of retention amounts and um, play bonuses, win bonuses. bonuses. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's a sort of a, a yeah, and we have a salary cap um, guideline given to us by the RFU. <laughs> Yeah, I used to be chief as at a basketball and, and sort of uh, would have haggles with the professional basketball league about the interpretation of salary cap. 
was an interesting interpretation. But uh, yeah, I think I think the interesting thing with the professional game in rugby and certain elements of players in the top division and certainly players in the Premier League football and some championship players, they are self-employed and have self-employed contracts, which are both a playing element and an image right element. Uh, Have you seen our players? They'd have no image rights. Well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They'd be delighted to have image rights, probably. Yeah. So I think I think one of the challenges, and it um, I, I, it just galls me when the championship players of football have decided to have a pay deferral, and everybody's saying how fantastic they are. They'll still get paid. They're not taking a pay cut. Everybody else no. is having a hit on life, etc. No, but, I mean um, semi semi professional is a funny funny old world anyway, mm, because mm. you know they don't get paid enough to live on, so they need careers no. and. You know, one of the things we try and do is is help them bridge that gap between sport and real world. You know, mm. and uh, which it depends on whether they're at the beginning of their career or at the end of mm. on how that works. Because you know they need to make a living after after rugby. How do you think it will change next season then? You think it will change the, your business model? Will that change at all? Or I it, uh, I think we'll end up with much more pay as we play rather than bigger right. retentions. I think the championship may go some semi-professional, but mm. I mean, who knows? Mm. Again, it's when you start and uh, whether you're able to gain that valuable income of people paying and coming and watching, you know, as well yeah. as that, you know, the local sponsorship, I I, I think it's going to squeeze small business, and they, you know, who, who, who sponsor a lot of community sport. Yeah, I mean, we're based in Tame, um, so we haven't got a big conurbation. So we end up with uh, quite a lot of small businesses who sponsor mm. us rather than we've got no big, big you know, nation, you know, national names. Sure. And these are the ones that are going to be hit. So yeah. we, you know, we won't have the, the income. Yeah, I speak to somebody in a local rugby club to me in St Coalfield, and they think that you know, the people that always give them 250 quid to 1,000 quid, sponsor boards around the pitch, this, that, and the other, pay for the, you know, stuff in a fixture yeah. card, that they think that will really disappear. I chair a hockey club as well, and we're, we we run a fixture card where we get, you know, 100 quid off 20 people. Um, and, you know, I think even things like that are going to be really squeezed. I mean, I guess sort of coming back to one of the questions I had last time is, so we're looking at what our sources of other grants and bids. And I, I said I heard a rumour yesterday that all grants are have been put on hold from the lottery and Sport mm. England, except for coronavirus bids, that everything else has got to stop on it. I don't know whether you've heard anything similar. I think administratively, rather than actually the... Um, I think I came in on that conversation when... I was joining. I think administratively, uh, they can't deal with all okay. all the elements of it. So uh, I'm aware from the Sport England point of view, there are four people that are reviewing the uh, the 20 million club grant approach, and they to say they're snowed under is ridiculous. Um, so I think there would be. Uh, this is only rumour, I can't say this for, for fact, but this is the impression 
that if that 20 million is used up very quickly and there's a request for another X million, then there might have to be a review of the other elements of grant aid and where that, you know, where that sits. Um, I think the position is we need to establish that sport will happen and clubs will exist post uh, COVID-19 rather than actually investing in development, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Mm. Is, is there any more details on the, is it the 55 million, the sort of get, you know, what happens next phase, or is that still just a placeholder? Um, I'm trying to find out information on that because I think uh, that's where some clubs are. Um, at the moment, it's very much uh, let's batten down the hatches and look at preservation uh, as opposed to looking at growing. But I think that will become more prevalent probably in the next couple of weeks, I think. OK, because um, actually one of the things we are trying to do, I mean, from a rugby club point of view, is use the time wisely mm. to, you know, as in Completely. you never get a chance to stop and actually yeah. kind of redraw how the structure and we grew from being a little village rugby club to a national mm -hmm. one side in kind of five years or so okay. and actually we haven't our back office hasn't always kept up mm. so we're using the time to kind of do it in a bit more efficient way rather than a sort of a kind of cobbled together patched up kind of way i think a number of governing bodies are, are not quite at that point yet but are getting there um the uh preservation element particularly those that have got significant funds from sport england the preservation element is critical uh, i spoke to another governing body last night um on a national basis that they have lost um nearly uh, half a million pounds a week in terms of income uh and therefore they've got to make significant quick decisions about well they're probably a little bit late on decision making but on furloughing staff uh and significantly reduce their their outgoings yeah, um, yeah. because that money just stopped overnight um, that's what we did as a rugby club is we worked on the basis of batten down the hatches quickly yeah. you know yeah. reduce our cost base yeah. and then take stock and then take stock and work out okay so what is it going to look like going forward and mm. so we're now at that kind of take stock stage of let's use the time wisely the difficult part is we just don't know what time frame we're dealing with no i think i think the if i split clubs into groups of asset owning non-asset owning and nomadic i think the ones that have taken the longest to batten down the hatches are the ones that are asset owning because they've got bigger issues um you know cutting the grass or whatever it is golf clubs and and alike yeah, yeah. Uh, those that are that are facility hirers, it's been quite quick to close down and, and lock down because their main outgoings are facility hire and potentially some casual coaches or one or two paid coaches. So they've only had a small number of issues and it, it's those clubs that are starting to look at, right, what do we do to, to, to get us back ready to go? Um, but again, very difficult to predict what's going to happen uh, and when. Any experiences in, in the Northwest, Dan? Um, in terms of what, sorry, because I know... Um, in, terms of, in, in terms of clubs and, and where they're at in the process of cutting down their costs immediately. Um, um, it's a, 
It's an interesting one. So growing again. Again, we're not quite sure to be honest, because a couple of weeks ago I just sent out an email to all like the um the local intermediaries who were doing the club stuff and said, We're here if you need any help, let us know what you need. And they kind of said, Oh, we're doing all right at the minute. Mm. Um and then just this week now there's been a push from GM Active to say, actually, no, I think it's time to centralize what support's available. Mm. Mm. That's down with I think some of there's a few people starting to get furloughed, misplaced. So the people I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago are now not there anymore. So it's it's we're looking at that situation um so but again traditionally we're not in a position to be we've not been in a position to be working with clubs so they've not come to us for help so far so we're just looking at ourselves as kind of a signposting um and taking it from there the demand hasn't been there until this week which is a bit weird yeah and i think as amanda said i think that whole time of maybe looking at the club and the club's organization and structure Mm. um uh, and I think certainly locally on my volunteer role, um, I chair a, a, a regional governing body. What we're trying to do is to get the development office to start looking at, right, let's look at all the clubs and action plan each of the clubs to look at their affiliation and their model and the safeguarding and all the sort of key elements to make sure that they're, um, they're compliant. And then actually, right, are they looking at their structure of their clubs? Because still they're, Clubs are very operational and not thinking about future, etc. Um, so I think that that's trying to be. Um, but it, it's a it's an interesting discussion. Um, we were going to look at two elements uh, today. We were going to look at insurance, and then actually engaging uh, and keeping keeping members involved. Um, we did have a, a a resource, or we do have a resource that Mark can call up on the screen around um, frequently yeah. asked questions around insurance. Were there any issues that were coming up, Hazel, Amanda, Dan, on, on insurance that people were asking at all? Hopefully you can see the screen now. Well, Mark gets the, the old screen shared. I'll be, in, I'll be honest, it's not something that we've even really thought about. Hmm. Mm. I'd agree. Um, from the feedback, I know because I know Fran, who works for the CYP, has been street games and people like that. And their concerns turns financially have been instability, um, reduction in fundraising, sponsorship, revenue generated from facilities. But there's nothing really that stands out around in, in insurance or anything. So that's a good, yeah. Same here. Nobody's not really. Oh, am I still? Yeah. 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 I, I, and I think it, it, it's. It's something that I think people sometimes are a little bit slow to go to. Um, it would appear that most most governing bodies. Um, was that down in the lobby again? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what just happened. You know? Oh, there we go. I think it just, it just popped up saying join the meeting. Ignore that. I think I figured it out. Yeah, we're we're not we're not going to prejudice anybody uh, north of uh, <laughs> north of Birmingham at all. Um, so I think I mean, what we've got here is a number of frequently asked questions. I don't know if you can see those, mm. uh, but what we tried to pull these out was a discussion with a few governing bodies and some of the some of the issues that clubs were asking. I think what it's also identified is should clubs look at um, you know income protection insurance? Should they look at um, you know specific insurance around the issues that have come up? Uh, I think. For me, it's just asking the question, if 
if this happened, not necessarily around a virus, but if it happened where the club had to close for some reason, would they have suitable insurance in place to cover uh, the risk that they've got? Insurance companies, are, I'll make a personal comment, are very good at insuring you and taking money, but then finding reasons why they shouldn't give you any money back. Um, even though you might have legitimate limited, legitimate reasons. Are there any of the FAQs there that, that Mark's identified that anybody wants to pick up specifically? No, I mean, it's, well, it's worth asking the question. I mean, fun enough, our insurance is all provided through the RFU. Mm. So, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's worth asking the question. I don't think it's something that we thought that we would be able to, you know, um, mm. to, to claim, but the worst that you can be told is no. I, I certainly don't think we're holding out to get any money through it. Mm. There's, I know there's some debates about business continuity um, and whether if you take business continuity insurance, whether the break in the business continuity, uh, you know, you're able to insure against that. Uh, I think that's in two or three fold, whether you actually regard the business as running and hiring facilities, if that's broken, does that break the continuity of you providing or running the business? Um, but I think it'd be interesting to see um, whether there are any claims against those. Um, what would be interesting is if you know of anyone who's been successful in any claims is how. Because, yeah. Because it, it yeah. feels like that, you know, not a chance, you know, but. I'm trying to find somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I can find a number of, a number of uh, insurance companies that have said no. Um, yes. That's um, my we, point. That's what where where yeah. I think you know. That's why we kind of haven't been there. But if mm. if you know, I guess what would be useful is if you find any really magic nuggets of where to find cash. Cash is what we we all want at the moment. Absolutely. Um, not profit, but cash, because you know that's what's going to pay bills for the next three months. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And and at the moment we're 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 not seeming to find. Let's say I've I've inquired of. Uh, of a number of clubs and governing bodies about whether they have um, been able to claim against insurance. I think a number have not considered it, um, but I think it's, it'll end up as it's so unusual that they'd have to make a case. I think insurance companies are very good at putting a ring around a particular area and saying, yeah, that's a broken ankle. Yes, we can insure you for whatever it is, because uh, that accident happened in a rugby game or whatever it is. I think they're, they're com obviously comfortable with that because that's insurance is. But I think it's those those other things. Um, and I think the uh, there are a number of clubs um, that have taken income protection. Uh, um, so they are paying their coaches. So whether they're able to claim against that insurance. I know there's uh, a club in Shropshire that's trying that approach. How quickly they'll find out about the success of that, I I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. Any issues in in greater sport that we could learn on from here, Dan, or is that still, a, as you say, a step away from from the clubs in that sense? Um, it's I think it's the messaging. So because I suppose there's been a lot of different messaging going on around, um, and I suppose because. I'm new to this space. I don't really want to initially interfere with any of that was going on and just say we're here if we needed. Mm. 
And then I think that then has come back and said, yeah, actually, no, it's time to kind of organize the messages that are going around. So that's the mm. problem at the minute. But again, it's 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 very much, I think, towards like financial and funding support. But again, insurance questions, I'm not sure anything around that, but I suppose as a general overview. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's might have been a couple of weeks ago or, or in that yeah, space. I think this this doesn't happen every year, does it? And therefore no. what what are you what are you able to claim, etc. But I, I think uh, at the moment we're we're just trying to find examples of where we've been claimed and what we've drawn on here is some frequently asked questions and the, the answers mm. to those. So I think hopefully those give a little bit of a guidance to um, to people. We pick. I'm, I'm intending to pick up a couple of conversations with the CVSs because I know they've been still doing like that mm -hmm. their, their bits in the funding space. So hopefully, mm -hmm. I'll be able to get a better idea of overview of kind of what their requests have been. Because again, we're not seen as someone to go to for club support mm -hmm. anymore. So mm -hmm. we most most been going. But that's that's the other question. Yeah, most funding bodies appear to be being very, particularly for the governmental, appear mm -hmm. to be very relaxed about the application of their their funding certainly sport england have been um incredibly yeah. that's so fair about how to spend money and change and changing funding cycles for governing bodies has been one of the things that was that came out last week which is obviously quite pleasing because it's pretty much saying you're going to get the same funding as you got this year next year and the funding cycle will will drop by a year which which is which is interesting and i think whether that's olympic linked or not i'm not quite sure but that seemed to make a lot of sense yeah I completely agree. Mm. So I think looking at looking at it from a uh, uh, governing bodies appear to be furloughing a lot more people than active partnerships. I think active partnerships are staying pretty, uh, yeah, pretty much the same. I think that's where everyone that's thinks the demand has suddenly come from. Is mm. this is a, I think, yeah, maybe yeah. furloughed and then a couple more might be. So everyone's kind of thought, well, if we can't go to them, and is next in place to support, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and and the the dilemma for governing bodies is about how much they can support their clubs um, when they're not receiving income that's paying for the staff that's supporting the clubs. And the the merry-go-round is then actually the clubs are paying in membership, and should they be getting support from the governing body? So there's a little bit of a cycle yeah. that, that sort of breaks in that sense. So if we move on to um, how are people keeping engaged? Um, any any example? that you've got around how clubs are keeping uh, their participants engaged. It's interesting Amanda said about actually using the downtime effectively about structure. We'll maybe come back to that. But any examples of where where clubs have, have, have kept um, players, coaches, volunteers engaged? Uh, we've got a media manager, so we've been keeping uh, quite a heavy social media presence with um, uh, you know what's going on little funny things um, mm. you know old player bios um, fun mm. one of our, one of our coaches was doing a sort of skills stuff but he was doing it at the club he got some um, um, complaints because he you know the club's a mile away from his house and it was told that he shouldn't be going there just to use the field not the club so um, that's okay. temporarily stopped. Even though he could walk that mile in yeah, his half hour, it's it's one of those. It wasn't worth you mm. know, given he had a few people who didn't like it. It you know it's not worth the aggro. Mm. 
yeah, I think there's a lot of garden-based uh, physical activity going on. Um, mm. I think I question whether people are doing physical fitness or they're uh, they're, they're educating, but that's a, a debate, a whole different debate. Uh, whether people Joe's... just like to know what's going on, don't they? But the, the difficult part is none of us know what you know. We can we can keep tell them in the short term what we've done and what we're trying to do. Uh, and then every week it, it's sort of got, you, you don't know really what else to tell them other than sort of fun facts and keeping them just engaged because we don't know what the future lies. No, no, I think there's, there's examples of quiz nights, uh, examples of um, curry nights, buy your own curry and then coming on Zoom or go to a meeting, etc. There's uh, one or two things like that about keeping members engaged. I'll come back to membership fees. Also uh, picked up yesterday an issue around Zoom where somebody sent out the Zoom link on social media to the uh, the participants and uh, they got hacked and had uh, a number of uh, pornographic uh, members suddenly appear oh. in, their, in their Zoom. Uh, so I think there's some good practice there about, you know, when you send out your Zoom link, send it out on a closed email. And actually there's settings on Zoom where you can close the room in effect. So once you've started the, you know, and everybody's in, you can close the room so nobody else can get in. Um, I think there's one or two hackers having a bit of a delight with, with Zoom. It's interesting. Um, I also, uh, I think with keeping people engaged, um, there's been a, a, a real discussion about how much membership should be charged in that period of time. Uh, and I think uh, related that into the commercial world and if you're a member of other organizations they and the commercial world they tended not to stop your member stop your membership payments they've continued to take your membership payments but at what level i think is the the key thing and it would appear that there are three levels to that one is just continuing to pay the full membership which also includes a fee that covered the facility hire and all that sort of stuff uh, on a weekly basis some that have that have reduced that and some that have looked at a, at a base level of membership to keep people involved. Obviously, there's been more reaction against the first one rather than the latter one. Any examples of where people have looked to keep people engaged through membership? Before, like, my, my two examples are, well, the rugby club, because we were nearly at the end of the season, effectively, you know, they'd got 80, 90% of what their membership and season ticket was was paying for so yeah. kind of it is what it is the mm. golf club i'm a member at um unfortunately for them it was a 31 march renewal so they you had to pay 200 quid just to keep your membership alive that'll get refunded when you um renew but effectively right. you're not paying for when the course is closed mm. that's a very unfortunate Passover date, wasn't it really? Yeah, they couldn't have. You couldn't have picked a worse one if you tried. Mm. Mm. And how have people have people paid that, or what they? I have. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I don't know. The, I believe, yeah, because they know they they get it recredited. Um, yes. Yeah. But but you know this is where sports like golf were having a harder time to encourage and attract the sort of 30 40 somethings anyway so 
Yes. You know, some sports are good at harder than others. Yeah. Yeah, I think that retention fee uh, is a critical thing to get that balance yeah. right. My it's MCC, all... they've charged my full amount. And they're giving you nothing back. There you go. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you you have the joy of being a member. What, what, I um, do. I'm one of the few 300 women that, that are full members, yeah. There you go. Yes. Uh, Think yourself the, lucky, Amanda. I know. Given <laughs> the waiting list is something like 26 years, I think they work on the basis that they've probably got the upper hand. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I do know some golf clubs that have, or one golf club we had on a call that have exchanged their groundsmen to sort of yes. volunteer. I think we yeah, brought that out last that. week as well. Um, uh, but I think there's there's a tightening on the interpretation of furlough as well in terms of a volunteering role, whether it's in a same sport or should it should it be in a, a separate um, sector, so to speak. Our golf club are actually using the time to do um, groundwork. So they've got a team there um, redesigning and doing bunker repair and all the rest of it. Mm. So, Amanda, could you just describe what what planning you're you're doing then for for the future? Is that looking at your committee structure? Is that looking at new volunteers? Is that looking at fundraising? What all are the of the things? above. Oh yeah. right, okay. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> I wasn't. I, mean, I shouldn't give you any clues, really, should I? Yeah, yeah, no, all of the above. We've got a board meeting tomorrow night, <laughs> another Zoom meeting. But yeah, I mean, part of it is that we've actually got three of us who are new non-execs who've been in on less than a year. So right. everything is just sort of a perfect storm for us that we're just going to relook at how we're structured and how we work. As I said, we've just grown so quickly that that we haven't, you know, it's a good time just to take stock and make sure that we're all joined up and you know and and once you're into sort of third tier of you know sort of semi-professional sport you you need to run yourself like a business rather than a sports club and there's this kind of gray area where you flip from one to the other hmm. oh you've got to be business-like haven't you absolutely and it uh, is, um, it is. what what you know, we sorry go on as I say, we're like, so we've got our you know we've got five acres of grounds we've got a clubhouse you know we're in a rural um, community is how we can then use that asset to the best of the community and so that's one of the reasons that I got involved in the first place as I said I got the president got me drunk and, and taught me into coming on is that I'm passionate about women's sport we haven't got any women and girls teams we've now got a girls under 12s um, is that how can we use what we have to to um, broaden it to a, not just men, male rugby. Mm -hmm. um, just an advert now. We, we uh, as you might or might not know, as a company, we we uh, were contracted by Sporting to run the club club matters workshops, um, and um, we've just agreed in the well last Thursday uh, to run the virtually as well. So. Um, they are the Club Matters workshops, the six Club Matters workshops are now available as virtual classrooms that can either be booked through the sports partnership, governing body, or we're running some open workshops. I don't know whether, Mark, um, you can put on the chat uh, the link to the open workshops. Um, 
I don't yeah, know if Dan sure. or Amanda or, or Hazel, whether you know the, the six workshops that there are. One is around legal structures. Secondly is uh, planning for the future, which is the planning one. Uh, there's marketing, looking at an internal marketing strategy. Uh, there's then participant uh, experience, volunteer experience. And finally, the one that actually is similar to what you've just described, Amanda, which is about uh, leadership teams. So looking at the board or the main committee and whether that is providing, uh, has got the right people on there that can give the club leadership in running the business as opposed to running the sports element of it. So we're putting those out um, and we put those out to uh, organisations that had already booked uh, workshops. And I think we've had 20 odd booked in the last four days, I think. Mark, you'll probably yeah. know better than I will. 26 um, at the minute. Pardon? 26 so far. Right. So they're pretty popular, but um, it might be, and this is maybe a discussion with you, Hazel, uh, um, is whether we actually look to put those on for Oxfordshire clubs uh, uh, as a as a as an opt-in, or whether there's whether there's specific clubs that are targeted in that in that planning. And what we're also doing is is putting in specifically COVID nineteen uh, good practice in there that we're we're trying to pull out from uh, from governing bodies and clubs um, to put into that, um, which will be um, the good practice around planning and taking this time to to step back and look at look at planning the club. I'm not so sure governing bodies are there yet with their support for clubs to do that. There are some clubs that are there. There are some clubs that are still just uh, trying to batten down the hatches, I think. Uh, but it would appear this last, probably this last week, people are starting to think about, um, like we are nationally, about what happens uh, when when the curve starts to go down and people start to be released. I think, for me, a key thing is looking at the opportunity of recruiting new volunteers. Um, uh, because I think the volunteer workforce will change significantly in demographic profile because it'll have to. Um, so I think older people will be will be locked down for longer than uh, than younger people. Um, It'll be interesting to see whether sport, you know, any uh, sort of team sport is with, that'll have close. You know, you don't have social distancing. You know, it's all right if you're doing. I don't know. I'm trying to think darts or something, but any football, rugby, or the rest of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. you're going to have physical contact. So whether they will have a longer lead time before they're allowed to be played again. Mm. Uh, a, a, an interesting debate. And again, you know, around facilities and swimming pools, sports halls, local authorities. Local authorities tend to be very conservative in their nature, whether they will be slower to um, open up again, um, as opposed to, you know, those clubs um that own their own facilities uh, what what is the word on the street what are people or people just don't know uh five six governing bodies i've spoken to all of which have got different plans for coming back different scenarios yeah. depending on when things will be released um the general feeling is um people under the age of 35 will be released earlier that's what a lot of sports are banking on planning on uh and therefore less likely transmission all those sorts of things um 
whether there are sports that are more socially distanced than others, as you say, whether they will come back early, I'm not quite sure. Really difficult to predict. I did see some funny stuff around cricket about whether they have a, a first and a third slip or a second and a fourth slip. You know, well, <laughs> what a debate. Um, so I, I, th I think it's all, all very difficult to, to predict. Um, I think football, the professional terms, are desperate to get back for the whole sponsorship commercial reasons, um, whether there is, you know, that whole changing room scenario, et cetera, et cetera, who knows? Um, I think swimming are thinking that they will be one of the last sports to be released because of the nature of swimming pools, et cetera. No, I get it. And again, how do you, how do you pack a, a six month competition strategy or competition structure into three months or, you know, things like that. So, um, some interesting approaches and some clubs that run uh, club open meets generate you know a significant amount of income that keeps them going through the winter uh, during this period and they're just not able to do that and raise that money uh, for that which is which is a bit of a shame. No I mean we lost our we have a big uh, fundraising event end of March mm. and um, yeah that got canned at the last minute mm. but yeah just that it is what it is. I think the movement of the London Marathon to October, uh, if that had been cancelled full stop, I think that would have put a number of charities really, really set back. And I, I saw something on television yesterday that um, I think Alzheimer's, I think it's Alzheimer's, raised 20 million from from the London Marathon alone. No, I, just, I just saw the Tour de France has just been put back two months. It just flips up on my screen. What, sorry? The Tour de France has just been delayed two months. It just flipped mm. up on my news feed. Mm. So everything's just being delayed, isn't it? Mm. Who knows? Yeah, very difficult to predict. And I think that will be a balance between um, life and livelihood, I think, will be uh, will become very strong soon. Any, anything more about planning for the future or keeping people engaged? Or what support do you think is needed it comes down to what's needed cash access to cash that yeah. is to be honest that is the top of the list you know i don't want to keep bringing it back down to money but but it is you know if i look at our agenda for our board meeting tomorrow most of it revolves around money and budgets mm. and and, and that part of it and mm -hmm. you know so that's what would be useful is where what other access what other pots of cash are around where can we access it yeah uh, maybe tips for, for how things can be structured differently you know what are the lessons learned that we you know should we have loss of earnings in insurance or actually is the probability of this ever happening again so remote that you know the cost benefits not there and and what will insurance companies charge for it exactly mm. exactly I, th I think whenever i've looked at any recession the key things in recession for organizations is to stay liquid and communicate uh and that they seem to be good principles to apply um unfortunately staying liquid sometimes affects other smaller organizations that are trying to also stay liquid 
and and uh, keep their cat keep 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 a cash. Uh, so What's your view keep... on where where Sport England are going to go though? In terms of you know, obviously they were much more pushing down the inactivity rather than sport. Do you think they're going to U-turn, or do you think that um, the focus will still be inactive? Uh, I think I think the focus will be more on a broader range of people. Uh, so I think equality, equity, uh, you know, broadening di broadening the diversity of participation. I think that will be in there, and therefore that inevitably looks at the inactive end of the, the spectrum. I think the question is about what's the support to governing body sport for sport's sake. Uh, but I think if sport can identify that it is getting more people involved in participation or it's addressing key things around social economic status, uh, uh, health and well-being, both personal and collective, I think that's where uh, that's where sporting will go. I don't think the strategy will greatly change. That's sort of the feeling on the street that uh, the five factors in the, the strategy at the moment are, are sound. Um, I think it's it's how does how, how does sport really show its benefit of sports for sports sake? So I think there will be a greater emphasis on equality. There'll also be a greater emphasis on the workforce, whether that's coaches, volunteers, or professional staff within within the sector. I think that will be a a massive area of, of support, which is why, you know, within Club Matters, there's a big emphasis on uh, the volunteers within sport and the professional staff that are intermediaries, intermediaries that support the clubs, uh, and that would appear to be uh, appear to be the, the current thinking. But again, we're into a new funding cycle, uh, so in eighteen months' time, there might be a different emphasis. But I think that's that's where it seems to be interpreting at the moment. I mean, in terms of volunteers, any thoughts and sort of tips on how to re-engage? I mean, as you say, it, it, you, you mentioned whether the demographics of volunteers will change. What, what's your sort of take on that? Um, I think what's happened in volunteering in the last probably four or five years is actually volunteers are less likely to do long-term significant amount of hours volunteering so the secretary that does 20 hours a week volunteering um that they're, they're a breed that is it is rare the thinking in volunteering which comes from not just sport volunteering which is broader to other volunteering which is looking at how maybe you can break down the particular role into a series of tasks where a number of people can undertake those tasks to meet the overall objective of one particular role for example a treasurer's role finance director or whatever you want to call them um quite often those people have been with the club for a long time they run everything they collect the money they put it in the bank they do this they do that whereas the thinking is well actually could you break that role down to a series of tasks so that actually more people can do a smaller number of tasks uh and volunteer for two hours a week as opposed to a big commitment of 10 or 15 hours a week. So that thinking around um, actually you're looking at more volunteers that are doing less, if that makes sense, uh, that appears to be where uh, volunteering is, is going. And that that comes from the, the non-sport voluntary sector as well as the sport voluntary sector. 
Uh, there's some really good examples in a number of sports, rowing, in uh, uh, hockey, etc., where they've broken the the roles within a club down and engaged a lot more people in volunteering. Cricket, uh, there's a sort of philosophy there that when you become a member, the role of being a member is that you also carry out volunteering as well as playing responsibilities and duties. And that's from a young age as well as, you know, adults. So uh, young kids, the under 10s, they're picking up the cones, collecting the cones. That's for that's their role, collect the bats. That's their role for night and that's their volunteer role. So actually looking at volunteering in its broadest sense, so actually how do you involve everybody in the club as opposed to just a few people that are vested in the committee. I think the other bit, which I'm interested in whether whether you're an independent on your board of directors, uh, and I think that's the other thing around looking at uh, broadening the base and the diversity of, of boards, because that has a massive advantage because you've got, as you've identified, women and girls coming into the club will increase the revenue to the club because it extends uh, the population that are just not engaging at the moment. Well, a little story for you. So we have pre-match committee lunches before all of the national one matches. So I okay. go to probably half yeah. of them home and away. Um, yeah. Pretty much all of them, um, you know, the opposition committee come to me and shake my hand and say, who are you married to? Is the first one <laughs> I get, um, yeah. which is always nice. And so far, you know, I've been to say a dozen or so of these lunches. I haven't yet met another female board member. So, I mean, just to spin back on the adverts, <laughs> the two workshops, one of two of the workshops I mentioned, so uh, volunteer experience and club leadership teams looks at uh, culture uh, and looks at um, looking at diversity of volunteers within a club and actually the benefits of a diverse volunteer workforce um, both in age gender ethnicity etc is a real advantage and i think that's something for me that this down period could really make a difference to uh to clubs if they started to think about the the um what what's their main committee or board what is it really about has you got a plan or is it just making sure that the teams are on the pitch or the kids are in the gym or whatever the, the objectives of the, the sports element of the club is. No, well, that is something we are doing and, you know, um, yeah, uh, that, that hopefully we, you know, the difficulty is that the, the, all of our board members have other lives as well and it's the time sure. and, and, and to yeah. do it. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, no, I'll... I certainly think that looking at the volunteer sector is is really key and certainly from my experience, I'm a hockey player as well and okay. my hockey club um, died a year ago because we would all got to an age where um, we'd all been captain, we've all done roles, none of us wanted to be captain. Um, we decided that we would do it in a rotation basis. Our first um, match was Banbury away, couldn't get a team up, and when they said sod it, so a club that's had you know 50 years of history died within a week. Mm. Mm. And yeah, it's because yeah. we've all been there and we've all done it. And actually, getting the next phase of volunteers, people aren't willing to do the put in the long hours and actually splitting it by task sounds like a really sensible idea. 
I, I don't know whether the, this situation will do, but I think uh, the larger, stronger clubs will survive. I do fear for the smaller clubs, uh, the one-team clubs, the you know the small clubs that operate on a on a shoestring. I do worry that some volunteers just might say, "Forget it, it's not worth it anymore." And it, I played for so Gerard's cross hockey, and um, the issue is is that no one between the ages of eighteen and forty could live there because the million pound house. Mm. So you got yep. kids, and then they went off to university, mm. and then you got the forty-something of us. Mm. We were all getting older, mm. and we had no one in the twenty-thirties because they couldn't afford to live there. And yeah, I, I chair hockey club in Sutton Coldfield, and we got five hundred odd members, and we have we suffer from children going to university, um, and but also we tried to do a recruitment campaign that spins back the other way, uh, that people coming into Birmingham. Uh, you know, to one of the five universities, how can we get them involved with hockey in in, in the north of the north of the city? But it it, it it's hard work. Uh, but then do you lose the culture of your club, which is about giving an opportunity for local people? Uh, and, they, and I'm of a strong believer that you should have more clubs, but it seems to be driven towards fewer, bigger clubs. And I don't yeah. necessarily think that is the right way, but anyway. Mm. And with hockey, it's driven by AstroTurf pitches. For sure, yeah. And and that football are putting three and four Gs down that isn't isn't uh, suitable for hockey. I think there's a challenge there as well. But I think the the whole volunteering issue. I think that's a real opportunity in this downtime to look at how maybe you're looking at getting to parents and other uh, the the best recruitment person I've seen is actually a hockey club, Old Seals Hockey Club in Solly Hall, where they have a, a car salesman who's their volunteer recruitment officer. And basically he spends his time going around and speaking to every parent. And by the end, he's spoke to them, he's sold them a role that they can do. Um, so they've got a huge base of volunteers, a lot doing a small amount of volunteering, two hours a week or you know two hours for three weeks or something like that um no that sounds sensible because we've all got volunteer overload you know we've all yeah. all of us have done it for, for for a long time and some days when someone turns around and says you know i've been on the bloody gate duty at the rugby club in a freezing cold day where you mm. can't feel your hands and someone then complains about something and you think sod off why am i doing this we all have those moments <laughs> yeah I, I absolutely i think that how do you break all those roles down and get people to feel part of a, a, a community and a culture? Exactly. That, that I think, if, if something comes out of that during this process, and I think that's why we're sort of saying actually engaging <laughs> with your members at this time is quite critical because if you keep them involved, they possibly will give you something back. Um, but, but, but I think that whole approach around trying to get more volunteers in across the piste is is um is a challenge and that my worry is is that that a number of clubs and governing bodies will waste this time because they're looking at preservation as opposed to to growing and i can understand that um but, but I think also people's priorities are going to change you know mm. aren't they? you know personal yeah. priorities both financially you know socially all the rest of it and I, I, I think that 
I mean, I, I heard a rumour the other day that Australia aren't are going to close their borders for the rest of the year and mm -hmm. aren't going to let people in. And you feel that it's going to be next you know, 2021 yeah. before there's any form of normality yeah. because there are going to be parents who don't want their kids playing football, rugby because of the risk, even if mm -hmm. the governing bodies have said it's fine. Yeah, exactly. I, I Yeah, and I think that whole, you know, will people get out of the habit? Uh, and I think looking at officials and volunteers are of a mature age, and I think that's a challenge, particularly in a number of sports. Um, no conversation with bowls they're really concerned about about their demographic um and getting their demographic back playing again and having the confidence enough to to go into a social environment where they're close to other people where they've possibly been locked down um and they, on their own or in couples for three months a lot of the our supporters who come and watch the rugby are all 60s 70s you know the real social we have a friday club where there's about 30, 60, 70 year old blokes who they come and do all the DIY in the club and mm. um, they all have tea and cakes and the rest of it. And it's as much of a social thing. They also do good stuff for the club. But these are the guys who are all in the vulnerable zone. And you just feel that that's our biggest workforce in doing all our DIY in the club. Completely. Yeah. I, um, one of my uh, swimming friends, he's a. Uh, season ticket holder at West Bromwich Albion, he's over 70. And he's had three phone calls from West Bromwich Albion about, hope you're okay, uh, you know, just checking you're okay, how are you doing, and all that stuff, which is, which is lovely. But he's saying, do you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to go back for, a, yes, yes. for until after Christmas. I'll, I'll just see how it goes. Um, you know, so, and he's a very pragmatic, um, you know, person um very pragmatic black country person who you know is, is passionate about his football or passionate about his swimming as well but he will probably volunteer more likely back into his swimming club than he will go into a crowd of twenty thousand people uh, 20, oh, I, totally agree. I, I may not go on a tube this calendar year again mm. yeah yeah, and, yeah. until a, a vaccine why why put yourself at risk you know mm -hmm. and this is back down to the volunteer sector. Why would you put yourself at risk to yeah. volunteer your time? Um, yes, I, I think I think that's where you know clubs should really spin around to look at volunteering. Anything else from from up north, Dan? Um, no, it's been at all or uh, questions. Yeah, I don't know where to start with questions. To be honest, um, oh, well, start I suppose when you when you when you started. Because this is your third one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so when you started, what was the need or like what was the ask? Was it pretty much funding related? Because I know uh, you're talking. It was. Had, what do we yeah. do? Yeah. What do we do? What can we do? There's loads of information. What can we do? How can we do it? How quickly can we do it? Particularly around people. Uh, that yeah. appeared to be. Uh, and also around that battening down the hatches. What are we going to do? Uh, certainly, there were some examples around clubs where actually uh, they didn't necessarily know who the key holders were, what the alarm yeah. was, what the this okay. you know, sort of practical things like that. On a broader yeah. front, we we uh, we host uh, or we we coordinate a, a Friday lunchtime discussion across, you know, pretty much go out to all our clients. And there, mm. there were a number of silly things like how do we stop the beer coming through? How do mm. we uh, turn the sky off? Um, the fact that beer 
uh, doesn't last as long as lager. And yeah. You know, so that was the the immediate, just to think as we were saying earlier on this discussion, the preservation and the closing down and cutting down costs. Those are the main issues. Can I access furlough? How do I do that? What about the self-employed? Am I really self-employed or am I just receiving funds? You know, so yeah. those are the key issues. And I think now, as we've had this discussion and Amanda um, obviously has contributed heavily to that, mm. but I'm picking up that now people are starting to think about mm, what do I need to do when we come back, come back again? Yeah. There's been a lot of talk about the 20 million uh, and covering the cost of closing down, as we said earlier on, not a lot of discussion about the 55 million, which is yeah. about how do we get things back up and running again? And I sense that that's where we're moving. And we feel that already that a lot of governing bodies have done. And I think we've we've sent to Active Oxfordshire and um, uh, the links that governing bodies have put on their websites. I think now what's needed is the interpretation of that on a club by club, sport by yeah. sport basis. So I, I think moving into that, uh, decision, I think clubs and organisations have made decisions about their staff now. Yeah. So whether they furloughed them or um, uh, spoke to one of the community foundations of a football club and they decided across the whole club not to furlough anybody. They've also said that they don't want their coaches volunteering into Tesco's or co the co-op because they don't want them to catch anything because they'll need yeah. to be fit and healthy when coaching does start again. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So there's some quite good thinking going on. And I think um, I think there'll be even more pressure on, on uh, those large clubs that have got a lot of money not to furlough staff because they can afford not to. How, how have you found it then coordinating that thinking and like who are the responsibilities usually sat with? Uh, we just we've just really uh, just to our network really yeah um, uh, amongst sports structure staff we've got a number of people that that are well connected with governing bodies and well connected with clubs so we've just sort of pulled that that thinking uh, and and just um, really just just sort of coordinated that thinking and and tried to get people to express where they're at with things you know in starting this process my view was very clearly everybody's going to be about um closing everything down as quickly as possible and saving yeah. as much money as possible and at some point they'll start to get the get the passion back for the sport and start to think about what does it look like um for example in swimming um they're starting to talk about you know who has priority over license meetings in in September? Now, two weeks ago, that wasn't even any, that wasn't even on the agenda. It's now they're starting to think about that, and have we got enough officials who are under the age of um, sixty that could possibly officiate a regional championships? Yeah, so that was not thought about two weeks ago. Mm. No, that's a good point, actually. Um, and I suppose, like the, the, the I suppose the thought that's coming up at the minute is like, there's a lot of people, I suppose, key intermediaries who are the links to the clubs that are starting to get furloughed. So, yeah, yeah. what Absolutely. is, I suppose, have you seen any challenges from that and kind of trying yeah. to get messages out to the clubs? So, is there any way around that? I think the way governing bodies are dealing with it is they're looking to stick stuff on websites. Yeah. Say, here's the information, read it. Um, 
I think one or two are, I think, are a little bit smarter than that, that actually it needs to be a one-to-one -one discussion um, mm. because every club's different. Um, yeah. Uh, I some have closed down some of their development team because they've got it on the website. Read it. Yeah. Um, but from, from the feelings that we've got back through staff and uh, my experiences as coaches who've talked to, they want to actually talk it through with somebody. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where this Active Oxfordshire webinar approach uh, and and uh, contact with clubs is it could be really valuable. So I think mm. that's what will be needed. You know, exactly as Amanda's identified, they're starting to think about using this time effectively, but yeah. also some some of them are not, some clubs are not even thinking about that. Yeah. Um, a number of sports... Uh, still use a club mark type accreditation, but a lot are moving to uh, an affiliation-led um, accreditation. So that when you affiliate, you've got to be welfare officer in place. Do your online, you do your child protection training. You know, get yes. constitution right. Here is an opportunity, an ideal opportunity over the next, I think, probably four weeks to six weeks to actually look to get clubs to do that. Yeah. Uh, and look at their constitution, look at how they're organised. Uh, I, I, I've quoted a number of times, I used to be chief of basketball, when I took over, uh, the sport was pretty much bankrupt. I actually wanted the sport to stop for a year, to yeah. sort itself out and then start again, mm -hmm. which obviously wasn't possible. Uh, yeah. But now we've got that situation. So actually, here's a chance to step back and say, right, as a, a, a club level and regional, regionally, what do we want? Uh, and mm. do we want to restructure, uh, uh, you know, based on what the key functions are? And, okay. you know, here's the opportunity to do some training. And yeah. from UK coaching's point of view, we've put the um, uh, online learning for, safe, for safeguarding online yeah. uh, in the virtual classroom. Uh, as a company, yeah. we run some. Uh, we, we put up one for two Sundays time at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. It sold out within uh, five days. Well, so there is a demand for that compliance. Yeah. Whether there's a demand for people to actually look at doing that, uh, mirror out, look at themselves, put new things in place. I'm not quite sure. I think the good clubs will do that, and that's why I'm I'm worried about the medium and small clubs that yeah. don't do that or haven't got the resource to do that. And I suppose it's not as easy to then reach out to the clubs that might fall through the gaps at the minute. If you're exactly if you're getting more people in those positions furloughed, um, yeah. you're not allowed to actually go and find them. Then mm. we know where they are. They're at home. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I don't. Well, I don't have their addresses, do they? I've only got the address for the club. Yeah. There's going to be no one there. Yeah. But you're right, um, and that's what's worrying is that is that a lot of those development staff that can help that process are being furloughed, and that's a mm. challenge, I think. I don't know, Amanda, whether you've got knowledge around the regional, county, etc. staff within rugby, within the RFU, whether they've been furloughed or not. I haven't heard anything either way, actually. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mm. But it's also actually, change, you know, from the leadership level, changing yeah. that thinking within the development teams to say, right, here are, right now, go in and really do some quality work with these clubs. Mm rather than, oh, you've, you've got an action plan around this, that and the other. Yeah. So I think it's, 
I think that change in direction will happen in the next couple of weeks for the large no, organizations. I, 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 I think that the, the last two, three weeks has all been about crisis management, stopping, cutting costs, getting, you know, shit, what's gone on? Bloody hell, didn't see this happening, mm. you know. And now it's all a lot of the, the activity has stopped because it is we're in a position now to then go, OK. And I think it's the next couple of weeks that people are going to go, OK, now what? Yeah. And yeah, yeah think, we've been yeah. advising people to say the quicker you get through your crisis, the quicker you think about the future. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Because I know, like, the, the challenge the last couple of weeks was just everything was up in the air. I think the dust has settled now is people are more willing to have a conversation mm-hmm. and look forward, where I think a couple of weeks ago is a bit trying to be too proactive and think, I'm here if you need to stuff looking forward. And they're like, it's speaking a different language. And I've had a couple of emails saying, actually, what he said a couple of weeks ago, can we follow up now? But that's yeah. more on the intermediary side than it is with with the clubs. So I suppose explore those links and see where it goes. One of the issues I heard uh, or last Thursday uh, was uh, I furloughed my staff, but I haven't got enough money to pay them. Am I still able to claim the furlough money back? And the answer is yes, as mm. long as they run the payroll. Yeah. As long as they run the payroll and run the payroll through HMRC, uh, they might not be able to pay the staff, but as long as they run the payroll through, they can still claim that furlough money back. Uh, the other element was I've got a finance manager and the only thing, or finance officer, the only thing they do generally that's needed now is run the payroll, but we furloughed them. Well, again, you could furlough them for three and a half weeks, minimum three weeks, furlough them for three and a half weeks bring them back for a day to run the payroll mm. and then furlough them again. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. it's being clear and, and, you know, concise about that. And I think this last probably week has been furlough week, uh, so to speak. The, but there are a number of organisations that furloughed pretty much straight away. And I think it's those that, those that appear to be recovering quicker. Unless yeah. you're at JD Weatherspoons that just furloughed 43,000 people, but that's another matter altogether. Madness. Mm. It is a madness. No, it's really useful. Thank you. Okay, we're sort of uh, we've gone over time a little bit, uh, but I hope just a bit. That, that's that, that's useful. Um, I are there to say any other questions at all? I was just going to say sorry for being quiet here, it's Hazel. I have been. I've been listening and um, sort of taking a few notes. Um, and things. So just to just to say thank you really to um, to you all for your input. And I've uh, made notes so that I can feed back to my team about the, the sort of questions and discussions that took place. It certainly wasn't what we thought it was going to be, Hazel. <laughs> um, no, but I think we we also we kind of were aware that for a lot of the smaller clubs and organisations, mm-hmm. probably this aspect isn't that relevant to them. Mm-hmm. And probably the yeah. when we move on more to what they can do around communication, training, planning, um, yeah. governance, yeah. all that sort of thing, it might be more relevant. And actually, the bigger organisations maybe have already had to deal with this a bit quicker. Um, so I think yeah. there was always the potential that the people who were in a bit of a, ah, what do we do? We've potentially already mm-hmm. given some support to. And it's mm-hmm. now waiting for the right timing for supporting those organizations those smaller ones you know i run a club and we will you know there will be no financial implication to this um for us um but there's probably and there is a lot we can do 
to make ourselves a better club for when we're able to actually be there doing what we want to do again. Mm. Yeah. Is that is that hockey was it, Hazel? Uh, no, gymnastics. Gymnastics. Oh right, okay. So do you hire your own your own facility or do you own your own facility? Yeah, we hire. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the moment we cancelled it, we didn't have to pay any costs and mm. we're a volunteer club, so we didn't have any staffing costs. Mm, perfect. Yeah. You might make money during the period because you're if you really? still take well, we, shipping. We, <laughs> yeah, we have, we have, they pay in advance. So we basically had two weeks where we weren't paying our right. and people had already paid for it. And mm. no one's asked for a refund on those two weeks. Mm. So um yeah, from our point of view, we probably have made money in those mm. two weeks. Um, but obviously what we can't do is, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to have much of a term next term to, you know, to run. And that means we will lose money because we make a profit on, you know, on the classes. So yeah. um, we're not going to be making as much money as we were going to, but we're, in debt, we're not losing money. So we are in the position where we can start now that we're all getting a bit more into a rhythm, we can start looking at what we can, you know, trying to bring more variety onto our board and do various things. Mm. Um, um, and I think you're we're very right. You know, Amanda was asking about sharing those insurance stories. I think part of it is just sharing clubs that have done something. Um, yes, and, um, you know, it's very hard. You don't want to shame people who are often volunteers into, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just trying to keep my kids OK and our mm -hmm. mental health and whatever. But there are opportunities. And I think actually just being inspired, I'm always inspired by valley's gymnastics club in wales who are amazing um mm. organization and just love everything they do there um and you know you, it's really nice seeing that inspiration from other clubs um and it would be nice to see it from other sports as well just you know, right well this is what we've done um yes. and this is the learning so i think part of it is actually just about sourcing those really good examples mm -hmm. and just sharing yeah. them and letting those people talk in their own words about what they've done and what they're planning to do um and I think that's really, really important because there is lots you can do equally as much. If you just put your head in the sand for three months and come out and try and make it work again, that's fine. You're a volunteer, you know, you're doing something in your own time. That's a different, you've just got to be realistic about what people can do. I think the view... going to say, I think that's absolutely right in that what, mm. I, what I want is real life stories, not theoretical, not... Um, mm but little nuggets of, you know, so-and-so did this and it worked and it had this implication or the rest of it. And you go, bloody hell, I hadn't thought of that. That's what I want to know is the stuff, you know, I don't know what I don't know. So if I get examples of things that I haven't heard of, I think, oh, bloody hell, that's clever. Yeah, I think the challenge of that is is knowing what it was it looked like when it stops. I think that that's the bit that's very difficult. I think Hazel's point around the money that's generated from casual classes, I think that um, I spoke to a leisure operator uh, last night, actually, um, and uh, he was saying their concern is the return of, of casuals and into their classes, uh, learn to swim, learn to learn to whatever. Um, and gymnastics was mentioned as well, whereas the clubs have got a greater emotional pull on their members and therefore are more likely to come back quicker. Uh, also, as um, had a discussion about um, behaviour and actually people are getting into a behaviour of taking daily exercise. Will that 
behaviour stop them behaving in terms of getting into club or habitual single participation activity? Who knows? Um, it, it, uh, I'm sure somebody will write a thesis or, or a dissertation on it at some point. Mm -hmm.